0: Right, and as I told you last week, we're going to look at the idea of being single and satisfied. Okay? Now, it's tricky for a few reasons. Um, sometimes because some people are single by choice and others are single by circumstance. Right? And so that creates a bit of an angst periodically. It can also be tricky because um, just as I spoke last week to those of us who are married, um, in that state, in your singleness, um, some people are content, right? And some people are just really frustrated. Living as a single Christian, it's not something we speak regularly about in the church. Just, it doesn't come up in all of the scriptures, but it does this week. And so we're going to unfold it. Um, a recent poll, I'm not sure um, the validity completely of it, but it, one poll suggested recently that the number of singles... Now outnumbers the number of married people in our country. Okay, surely the things we're going to say I will t- today I just can assure you are going to have relevancy for your life. All right, relevancy in the ways that we unpack the scriptures and apply them to our relationships, no matter what situation in life or circumstance we find ourselves. Now, I can tell you from some personal experience that it can be awkward at times to live as a single person. Okay? there are times when someone 's singleness um, makes other people feel uncomfortable. sometimes married people sometimes there 's a maybe a perceived threat that someone might be to a marriage. Um, more often than not, it just it gets a little tricky because there are times. When you sense that people who are married are envious of the um, the freedom, if you would, of a single person, um, more often than that, it just becomes awkward because those who are married assume that those who are single should be married. Okay, so they are busy at times trying to find the, find them a mate, or at least find them a date, and that gets a little bit crazy sometimes. Um, there's difficulty sometimes as a single person, like functioning in public in places like restaurants or just public in general or church small groups or things that just seem to be, if nothing else, more oriented toward those who are couples, maybe not even purposefully, but realistically, it just happens. And if we're not carefully careful, sometimes, um, I think accidentally... A single person can be made to feel um, maybe second class or less than. And I know that because I've lived that, right, for a period of time. I sat down this past week, I mean the sermon is not about me, but it's not void of my experience either, and so trying to figure out what's the balance, so I sat down and just, and it really only took me probably about five minutes, because these things are just so deep in my own life, personally, I wrote down some things that I learned during that season of life that um, I think are just relevant, <laughs> certainly they're relevant to me, but I think they're applicable to many, and the first thing I learned was that God is enough. God is enough. I started and I wrote that with a period. Then I went back and I changed it to an exclamation point because it might have been the greatest lesson that I learned during that time. I remember looking back thinking that, you know, in the long run, it was really kind of a short run. (laughs) But in the short run, it felt like a really, really long time, like a long run in that way. Um, One of the greatest discoveries for me was that contentment is achievable. The fourth thing that, um, that I knew that I'd preached, but I had to experience, and that was this, that holiness is possible as a single adult Christian. <clears throat> I feel like number five and number six are kind of the, the backsides to the same coin. I, I learned that bitterness is a choice, and that forgiveness is a choice, and the choice was up to me. I learned that healing is possible. Didn't feel like it for a while, but it was true. Um, I learned that patience and commitment to high standards have rewards. Okay? I believe that. I live that. I learned that. My reward happens to be named Karen, so that part was good. I understood in a new way, number nine, that, that God is faithful. God <laughs> is faithful. And then something that didn't surprise me, but it still needed to be worked out. Number 10 was that my faith was as real as I believed it was. It had nothing to do with my job. It had nothing to do, certainly with my upbringing. It had nothing to do with the choices I'd made. And yet it had everything to do with the choices that I made. So those those were good discoveries for me. Now the Bible, Bible is not silent on this issue of being Single, and we need to understand being single from God's perspective, just like we do all other parts of life. And we need to understand either because we are single, okay, or because we're in community with people who are single, and because statistically, many of us one day will be single. Sometimes that will come through marital tragedies. But often, for many, it will come simply because eventually we might be a widow or be a widower, and these things um, will be relevant at that time. Now, many of you over the years have watched the, the show Mythbusters. Right? And so I, I want to, before we go further, just kind of bust some myths, if you would, that are related to um, singleness, but they have really some value in whatever area of life you find yourself in. And the first myth is this, is that singleness forms your identity. Okay? Now, it's okay to use the term single as to distinguish someone who is not married, right? A person, though, is more than their marital status. You are made in the image of God, of all of us. Therefore, we have great worth and we have great value in that way whether we're married or not is irrelevant in that particular point back in 2013 um, Christian single took a survey and they found that at least 40 percent of singles between the ages of 30 and 60 felt that there was a presumption that there must must be something wrong with them because they are single that's a sad statistic The survey also showed that, in particular, the disappointment of being single caused them to doubt that God had a plan for their lives. Also, sad. Understand this this morning. Like, if you are saved, your identity is as a child of your Father God, your sins are forgiven. Your purpose in life is to live for the glory of God, whether you are single or married. All those other things are true of you predominantly and first. Myth number two, that marriage is the only God-ordained lifestyle. Now, some think God's preference is always for people to get married. But I would challenge that just by giving you some names of people in Scripture that were positive parts of God's kingdom and God's plan that were not married. We could start with Jesus. Right? How about his cousin John the Baptist? Remember the, um, the widow Anna who got to see Jesus as, a, as an infant in the temple area before she passed away? How about the prophets Daniel and Jeremiah and Elijah? How about Naomi, Mary Magdalene, Mary and Martha, the sisters of Lazarus? In the Bible, we see Miriam, we see Dorcas, we see Lydia, just to name a few. The Bible is full of people who made significant impacts for the kingdom and also were single. The, Paul, the Apostle Paul himself, who wrote the, the verses that we're going to look at today, was either single or a widower when he wrote those. We know that to be true. So let's not make an idol out of marriage. As we'll see, being single can help someone to focus on God and his kingdom. That's what Paul's message will be. Myth number three, the grass is always greener on the other side of the matrimonial fence. (laughs) This is so prevalent in our society today. I mean, some singles believe if they were just married, everything would be better in life. And some married people believe if they were just single, everything would be better in life. And neither is true. Married people often bail on their vows simply because they believe their life is going to improve. And sometimes singles forget that no spouse is better than the wrong spouse. Here's the truth. If you get to the other side of the fence, you're going to learn that life has blessings and it has struggles, no matter which side of the fence you find yourself on. Irma Baumbeck wrote a book one time called The Grass is Always Greener Over the Septic Tank. (laughs) I like what one person said. I think they were right. The grass is always greener where it's watered and cared for. That's where the grass is greener. And if your grass is starting to brown, maybe there's a reason for it. Myth number four. My life plus someone else equals happiness. Okay? Our culture communicates that if we find the right person, just find the right person and we'll be happy. And singles are, are, are faced with this all the time. But so are married couples who are somehow considering leaving their spouse, to find that elusive person that somehow is going to make them happy. Contentment, listen, contentment only comes through Jesus and does not depend on anyone else. The truth is, like happiness, most of the time comes from being the right person, not from finding the right person. And then myth number five. Myth number five says singleness singleness produces loneliness while marriage produces intimacy. Some believe if you're alone that somehow you must be lonely and that if you're married you're never lonely. Okay, But I found a lot of singles who are not lonely and I found a lot of married people who are lonely. Okay. I've experienced as a single person, loneliness and satisfaction. And I've experienced as a married person, loneliness and satisfaction. And I, along with uh, a lot of other people, I think have discovered that this is often much more a reflection of the status of my relationship with God than it is my relationship with another person. We've got to own our own spiritual life. We've got to own our own lives. While at the same time, Paul reminds us we are not our own. We were bought with a price. And we walk down the path that God has laid out for each of us individually in the way that God has laid it out for each of us individually as a way to experience his greatest blessings for our life, no matter what our situation. Now, there's an entire chapter in the Bible that talks about the the value and celebrates the value, addresses both the, uh, the drawbacks and the benefits of being single and of being married. It's 1 Corinthians chapter 7, so I want you to turn with me in your Bibles to there. Bible, Bible app, if you want to grab that Bible in front of you, it's on page 1132. And here we find the Apostle Paul's philosophy on marriage And what I would call his inspired thoughts on being single. You know, in the Bible, sometimes Paul will say, I say, not the Lord, meaning this is my opinion. But it's in the scriptures, and they're inspired by God. So I think it's an inspired opinion. Whereas other times we'll say, God says this, and I'm just passing it along. All right, so this is one of the first. Now, the Corinthian church, who is the recipient of this letter, was crippled with divisions and arguments and lawsuits, and immorality. And so it's a long letter filled with a bunch of stuff, right? And there's confusion about marriage, about food that was sacrificed to idols, about the Lord's Supper and worship, and about resurrection, and about giving, and about spiritual gifts. And he addresses all these things. Now, because the society of the city of Corinth, the seaport town, because it was so ungodly. Because it was just rampant, especially with sexual immorality. There were some who thought marriage should just be abandoned. And there are others who believed that even as a single person, that there was no call or need for sexual purity. I mean, just think about the country we live in. and And I'm reading through Corinthians, I'm thinking, this isn't so far off from the country in which we live and the attitudes that are so pervasive today and this passage says so much and it's very practical but i want us to understand that that what paul is going to write here in first corinthians chapter 7 it assumes a level of devotion to jesus that is not always evident today either in people who are married or in people who are single So even as you're hearing what God says, you might feel him stretching you to a different level of commitment, and I hope you do. So as I said before, I know that amongst us, in our building today, there are people who are single by circumstance and people who are single by choice, both of those. Some who've never been married, some who've been married and are divorced, and some who are widows or widowers. And I know that in our building today, there have been some singles that are glad to be that way. And there are some singles who are sad to be that way. And there are some singles who are mad to be that way. (laughs) All of the three. And could not the same be said about those who are married today. Now, 1 Corinthians chapter 7, begin with me in verse 6, where Paul writes these words. He said, I say this as a concession. Maybe your other versions say something different. What he's saying is, this is my inspired opinion. This is my opinion, but, but God's having me write it down for you. So this is his message to you. He says, not as a command, meaning God didn't say this directly. Verse 7, but I wish, he said, everyone were single, just as I am, yet each person has a special gift from God of one kind or another. So I t- say to those who are married and to widows, it's better to stay unmarried, just as I am. But if they can't control themselves, they should go ahead and marry. It's better to marry than it is to burn with lust. Now, Paul reminds them and us straight out that singleness is a gift from God, that it's good, and that it should be used for God's glory. And we can see from these verses that that Paul encourages a person to experience singleness as a good thing a good thing. Now, being single doesn't mean um, that you're deficient. It doesn't mean that you have a condition that needs to be corrected. Singles are not somehow second-class citizens. In fact, Paul would say that it is not God's will for everyone to be married. He says in verse 8, so I say to those who aren't married and to widows, it's better for you to stay unmarried. He says, just as I am. Do you know in the Jewish culture, it was taught that it was actually wrong to be single, that it was actually a sin for a young man to grow to the age of 20 and still not be married? And yet here we have Paul, well beyond 20 and not married, and saying under the inspiration of God that it's it's good for you to be single just as I am. In a helpful article, Paige Benton wrote called Singled Out by God for Good. She writes, I'm not single because I'm too spiritually unstable to possibly deserve a husband. She said, nor because I'm too spiritually mature to possibly need one. She said, I'm single because God has been so abundantly good to me. This is his best for me. Listen, our, our identity as Christians is not found in our marital status. It's found in our redemptive status. we have been redeemed as children of God no matter what our marital status is. Paul says it's a good thing to be single. And he says that partly because we can exercise our singleness as a gift to others, he goes on to say. Now that word gift there in verse 7 is the same word that Paul is going to use extensively when he talks about spiritual gifts in 1 Corinthians 12 through 14. In these chapters, Paul talks about how God gives a wide variety of gifts and how he uses this gifts these gifts to grow his church. And that God gives these gifts according to his will. The truth is that marriage is a gift from God. And being single is also a gift from God. And so we have to recognize and receive our God-led situations in life as callings from a gracious God, from a generous God, from a good God. And when we serve according to our gifting, many of us have found that God brings fruitfulness in our life and fulfillment in our life because we're walking in the path that he has laid before us using the gifts that he has given us in a way that honors him now you if you're single you may not have the gift of being single for your entire life but right now according to Paul God has presented you with this gift so realize this Your singleness may be a waiting season, but it doesn't have to be a wasted season. And that almost completely depends on you. God may change your assignment, or he may just make you increasingly content to walk the path that he's given you now. But this is the truth. Like, you don't need to be fixed, (laughs) You don't need to be fixed up. You just need to be faithful. All of us need to be faithful. Uh, verse 9, um, it, it's a call to self-control. Okay? It's a call to pursue purity, if you will. Paul writes, but if they cannot control themselves, they should go ahead and marry. It's better to marry than it is to burn with lust. Okay? Now, can we just agree that both men and women in our society, have to wage war against lust because it's such an over-sexualized society that we live in. And both singles and married couples have to battle the temptation against the lie that somehow sexual expression outside marriage is necessary for fulfillment. That's not God's plan, and it's not God's way, and it won't bring God's blessing. Now, um, Paul talks extensively in this chapter about how our being single can be used or leveraged for the good of God and his kingdom, and therefore for us as well. I'm going to read verses 26 to 28, and then jump down to verses 32 to 35. Paul says, because of the present crisis, because of the pressures in life, he would say, I think it is best to remain as you are. If you have a wife, do not seek to end the marriage. If you do not have a wife, do not seek to get married. But if you do get married, it's not a sin. And if a young woman gets married, it's not a sin. However, those who get married at this time will have troubles, and I'm trying to spare you those problems. Now, depending on your attitude when you came in this morning, you might uh, stop there and have quite a way to finish (laughs) finish out Paul's thought. But let's look at how he finishes out that thought down in verse 32. He says, "'I want you to be free from the concerns of this life. An unmarried man can spend his time doing the Lord's work and thinking how to please him. But a married man has to think about his earthly responsibilities and how to please his wife. His interests are divided.'" In the same way, a woman who is no longer married or has never been married can be devoted to the Lord and holy in body and in spirit, but a married woman has to think about her earthly responsibilities and how to please her husband. I'm saying this for your benefit, not to place restrictions on you. And then he says, I want you to do whatever will help you serve the Lord best with as few distractions as possible. So in light of these verses, then, how do I redeem my singleness? Okay? Now, that's an action I do. I, how do I redeem my singleness? I didn't say, how can I be redeemed from being single? Okay? That's not what Paul says, nor what we should think. But how do I leverage it for my best and God's best, my family's best, the people in my life? Because okay? I don't think it's a lesser state. And Paul says it's not. So how do I capitalize on it for God's kingdom? First thing I think is this, find your significance in Jesus. If you're a single person or a married person, find your significance in Jesus. Verse 26, Paul says, because of the present crisis, I think it's best that you remain as you are. That word crisis could also be translated, maybe in some of your translations, it is persecution or calamity or trial because of these things, he says, See, it wasn't easy being a Christian then. And it's not particularly easy being in a right place as a Christian even today. Paul says, if you're single, focus on your significance in Christ because in times of crises, the single life has advantages, he says. Second thing I think he tells us is to to leverage this focus on Jesus. Look at verse 32. He said, I want you to be free from the concerns of this life. An unmarried man can spend his time doing the Lord's work and thinking about, Paul, about how to please him. Okay. Paul's point, like a married person needs to be, should be, must be focused on the needs also of their spouse. But the single person can be focused on the Lord. Understand this, being single, by God's design, it's not to choke you, it's not to limit you. Rather, Paul says, it's to free you to make a difference for God and his kingdom. There was a post written by Suzanne Gosselin called Sacred Singles, and this is what she wrote. She said, lead the life God has assigned to you. Sometimes that assignment is difficult But knowing that your singleness is sacred should embolden you, she says. What if your singleness is not the problem? What if it's actually the point? Whatever state you're at in life, what if it weren't the problem, but it was actually the point because it's God's plan for you? And then third, let me encourage you to live out godly values. Now, all of this has been true according to the Bible, and so is what I'm going to say. But as a single person, there are a couple of questions that I found myself grappling with along the way. And I grappled with them because I, like, I didn't feel called by God to be single. And yet I found myself single. And I didn't think I would always remain single. But I had no timetable to know if and when God would actually change that part of my life. So I eventually wrestled with these two questions. What do you do number 1? What do you do if being single doesn't feel good right now? I read I read what Paul said, I just didn't feel what Paul said. And so how do you wrestle through that was one question I had. And the second was this. What do you do to cooperate with what you believe to be God's plan? when you don't know God's timetable? (laughs) Relevant to me, certainly, um, were those two questions. And they spent a lot of time in my brain. And here's what I did for what it's worth. So I'm going to give you four pieces that I think are probably more of a testimony than they are a chapter and verse and a command from God. But I think they're right and I think they're healthy and and I hope they would help if they're relevant for you. And the first is this. Choose to be holy. Choose to be holy. Holy, Like, I knew that I didn't control the timetable for God's plan, but I knew holiness was always part of God's plan. Um, I'd seen a lot of people, and I have seen a lot of people, and I continue to see a lot of people that abandon God's purpose of holiness and his purity. And as a result, I find a lot of people who end up with the wrong person in their life, or who end up presenting someone else with the wrong person in their life, either that or they end up with a whole lot of extra baggage that they carry into a new relationship simply because they didn't choose to live holy throughout their life, married or single. Number two, engage people. I mean, we are made for relationships um, and being single sometimes poses a challenge to fulfillment in this area. And yet, if you will engage people without an agenda, um, to specifically find a spouse, I mean, you may be putting yourself right in line with God's plan for actually changing that part of your life just by walking through life with people in obedience. So maybe try, if you're struggling on this particular area, try instead of asking, why am I alone? Why don't you try asking, why am I here? Relevant question, whether we're single or married, right? Why am I here? God, what is your purpose for me in my life right now? Third thing serve God faithfully. Now, this is Paul's main thrust, okay? And, and, and it's true. I mean, I was able to do things without restraint as a volunteer during those years. I served in a divorce care ministry. I went on mission trips with my kids. I served in the men's ministry. I served as a first impressions volunteer. And when they asked me to do something, I didn't have to ask a lot of people whether I could or not. <laughs> I had my work commitments and then I had a lot of freedom, and I used those to serve God in those ways. Um, now, I will tell you, because I was working through some, just some very difficult and dark things in my own life, um, I, I can't say that I really thrived spiritually during that season of life. It was a struggle and a lot of battles, but I can say that I grew spiritually. And I certainly can say that I became a better version of myself during that time in life. And I think that's a positive thing. It certainly was for me. I I used that freedom to focus my time on serving God and serving what remained of my family. That was my thrust. And then lesson number four um, that you can do. It's not really a lesson. It's an action point for you. Learn to be content. Okay, Learn to be content. It doesn't come naturally. Contentment is a spiritual discipline. I worked at this very proactively for several years, and then I stopped working at it. I think it just became second nature. And it was a beautiful day in my life when I woke up one day, and I don't even remember the circumstances. I just remember waking up and saying, I'm a content person. I made it. I've accomplished the goal. Now, I still believe that I wouldn't remain single, but I still was single, and I found myself content to be in that state if that's what God had planned for me at the time, until he changed something. And the most beautiful part of learning to be content was, here I am now several years later, and that contentment has followed me through life. It's a part of who I am. Okay? And and most of you know, if you've been around for a number of years, like I typically do not use my family um, For sermon illustrations, though I will tell you they give me much material that it takes a lot of constraint to not use, (laughs) all right? But let me just say, like, while I was doing those things, Karen was doing the exact same things as well, even though we're on different paths. And so to me, one of the most attractive parts of her life was that, that she was connected to God so solidly. That she wasn't chasing after a bunch of other relationships. And that she too had become content to walk with God, even alone, until God chose to change that situation. And certainly I'm glad that he did. And so God provided the right person for Karen. And God provided the right person for me. And it was easier for him to do that because of how we had learned to be content, and postured ourselves in life. So we were able to choose another partner for life, and choose is the important part. We weren't compelled, we weren't driven to, we weren't incomplete. We were able to make that choice, and as a result then, I didn't have to have someone else to complete me to find joy in life, and yet when I made that choice, there was someone who completed me (laughs) and found joy or gave joy to my life. And so um, it's important how we walk through any stage in life so that God can give us his best. Now, I, there's a lot packed into this message today. When I hear it as a single person, when I hear it as a married person, there's a lot to think through. And, and, and maybe your response might come in the service. And maybe your response might come in the days ahead as you just wrestle with some of the things that have been said. It may flow out of your single status. It might flow out of your marriage frustration. It may be for you to implement. It may be for you to pass along to someone else that you know is struggling with this area or one of the areas that we've talked about. Just be faithful to do what God calls you to do. That's always our response. And listen, like if you are struggling from pain of your past due to rejection or violation or isolation, okay, if you find yourself um, feeling the weight of loneliness or lostness or bitterness... If you're afraid, if you're anxious, if you feel like your future is so uncertain, I'm asking you to lean into the one who knows all of this. God is tracking with you every single step of the way. And he's asking you, I'm asking you, to trust God more than you find yourself bowing to your fears and your feelings. To exert your mind over your emotions To choose faith over fear to keep you on the right path. I'm just walking, asking you, encouraging you, walk in obedient trust as a follower of Jesus. As a way to experience his best for your life, rather than captaining your own ship and hoping to get your idea of what is best or who is best. Can't most of us look back over our lives and think of what we thought was best and how it would have been so wrong for our lives had it come to pass. But by trusting God and staying on his path, we are experiencing his best for our lives. Let's pray together. Father, there is uh, anticipation when we walk along your path. But oftentimes, Father, it's a, it's a waiting anticipation. And Lord, sometimes departing from that path brings destruction for our lives, and that typically does not wait very long. May we continue to walk in faith and trust. May we grow closer to you knowing you know our heart's desires the things that bring contentment to us, because you are the one who created us and have ordained the days of our life. May we walk in those ways to experience your best and to give your best to those that you have placed in our lives. Lord, draw us to you through your son, Jesus, by the leading of your spirit. We pray in Jesus' name.